0: Well, I'm sure many of you have uh, read the classic book by John Bunyan, A Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, If you haven't read it, it certainly is a must-read. I'm sure most people would agree who have read it uh, for any Christian. But if you haven't read it, it's basically the story of the uh, fictitious character Christian and his pilgrimage, his journey through life towards the celestial city towards the kingdom of God. And probably the central uh, or most helpful thing about this book is really the fact that Bunyan very creatively illustrates for us the many temptations and the many trials and the many hardships that Christians will face in this lifetime. And I suppose what he's really doing throughout the book is he's helping us to understand how we can avoid the temptations And how in the face of these hardships that will come in this life, how we might be best prepared to conduct ourselves in a way that is faithful and obedient to God. How we might be Christian people who persist in the pursuit of Christ's righteousness. Irrespective of all the things that might come towards us in this life and that might work against that process. And I mention that this evening because I think that is precisely at least one of the central things that Peter is doing throughout this, his first letter, and especially in this passage that we're looking at this evening. Why is he doing that? Well, the context here is that Peter's writing, at least in the immediate sense, he's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman world. The reason is that they're being persecuted and they're being marginalized on account of their faith in Christ. Now, this letter was probably written somewhere around 63 AD, and so there's not likely to have been kind of widespread martyrdom at this stage, the kind of killing of Christians on a mass scale, if you like, that happened later on under Emperor Nero. But the point is, these are a people who are still suffering true hardship. They're living on the fringes of society, they're being ostracized, they're being ridiculed, they're being overlooked and slandered, sometimes even beaten. And all of that would be happening at the hands of the Roman Empire, society in general, their employers in some cases, and even members of their own family. And so in the face of all of that, Peter, or I should say God through Peter, he's essentially doing two things. First of all, he wants to encourage Christians by reminding both them in the first century and us today of our privileged identity. The security of our status through faith in Christ. That's why in the previous passage he speaks of this inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade. But then secondly, in the face of that privileged identity, he's also wanting to challenge the Christians. And specifically, he's urging us to press on towards a life that is truly distinct, that is truly godly, irrespective of what that distinctiveness might cost us in this world. And so if I could just try to summarize or or sum up what Peter is effectively saying here in all of this, it would be to say something like this. He's saying, because you are a people who, on account of your faith in Christ, are living in a foreign and fallen world, be realistic that you will face opposition. You will face trials. You will face hardship you will face persecution. And he's saying in the face of that hostility, the temptation will be to either shrink back and attempt to just blend in with the world so as to have an easier life in a sense or to dumb down the message of the gospel so that it is less hard, so that it is less of an offense in the world. Or the other temptation will be to bite back when we are bitten by the world, therefore repaying evil with evil, which he goes on to say we mustn't do later on, or to even cut ourselves off completely and so ostracize ourselves and become like a little kind of holy ghetto that actually has no impact in the world, that is totally out of touch with the world. And so in the face of those temptations, Peter is effectively saying to us throughout this letter, don't do either of those things. But instead, remember your privileged new identity in Christ. In the face of that, make it your purpose to live distinctly and conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Why? Because it is this attractive community of godliness and true grace that will be a light to the world. And it is by pursuing this kind of life that we will be included amongst the number of whom he speaks later on in chapter 5 and verse 4, where he he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The question is, how will we do this? How will we pursue this distinct life of christian conduct how will we be this city on a hill that cannot be hidden a light to the world a light in the dark places like christian in a pilgrim's progress although he was battered and sometimes even fell through the many trials of life he was ultimately able to get back up and continue relentlessly to the celestial city Well, let me just, this evening, what I want to do is highlight three things that Peter points us to very simply in this passage. And it's the three Ps for ease of memory. The first P is the P, privilege. The second is perspective. And the third is purity. Privilege, perspective, and purity. First of all, Peter tells us that we must remember our privileged context in Christ. And where we see this is in verses 10 through to 12. I'm not going to read it all again. But he's clearly here speaking about this salvation which he's just described in the previous verses. And to get to the crux of what Peter is saying here, I think it's good for us to refer back to something that Jesus himself said concerning John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. Where Jesus said this, He said, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And of course, what Jesus was saying there in that instance was that in the context of God's redemptive plans throughout all of history, no prophet would have been seen as greater or more privileged than John the Baptist. Why? Because he was not only called and sent to foretell the coming Messiah like all the other prophets, but he was given the most special privilege of actually heralding the arrival of the Messiah during the time of Christ's life here on earth. He had the privilege of actually knowing Christ in person, of actually ministering during the time of Jesus Christ. And so why then, why would Jesus say that John the Baptist would be least in the kingdom? And of course the answer is this, that John might have been the greatest of the prophets as the last one to foretell the coming of Christ. But just like all the other prophets who went before him, John never lived to witness or to hear about the death and the resurrection of Christ. John never lived to to witness or to hear about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. John never lived to hear about or to witness the spread of the church out from Jerusalem. But you have, and the people who Peter was writing to in this letter had as well, because he was writing to them after All of these things had taken place. And so what both Jesus was saying in relation to John and what Peter is saying here in verses 10 to 12 in regard to the prophets before him was effectively one and the same thing. That because you live at a time when all the evidence and all the historical reality of these things has actually taken place, we are therefore living at the most privileged time in all of salvation history. Why? Because we not only have the promise of these things to hope for as if they might happen, we hope they happen, and we kind of believe they'll happen, but we have the historicity of these things testified to by eyewitness evidence. Over 500 people who actually saw the Lord after his resurrection. Now, why then would that be so important in the immediate context and for us when we face suffering today? Well, what he's saying is the extent to which we remember this privilege and cherish it will ultimately determine our ability and our willingness to stand firm and to live distinctly for Christ even in the face of hardship. Because when we are mocked And when we are ridiculed or worse, we can call to mind that our Savior suffered the same and worse, and that he said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. We are able to call to mind that when our loved ones are dying in Christ, or when they have perhaps already died, Or some of them, as I was saying in a prayer earlier, through violent persecution in the world. We can remember the words of the angel to the two Marys on that first Easter morning. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. When it feels like the church in our own land, in our own day, is doing okay, but... It just doesn't seem to be doing as well as it could do. Or there just doesn't seem to be a lot of hope for Christianity in our land. Things just seem to be doom and gloom. We can remember Christ's promise. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's the first thing about this distinct life in Christ. Peter's saying remember Not only your privileged status, but also your privileged context, your time in God's redemptive history. These things have happened. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He has shed his blood for our sins. He has been raised back to life. And that is why Peter is able to say this is an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil or fade. The second thing we see here is the need to maintain a heavenly perspective in Christ. He says in verse 13, Therefore, in other words, in light of all that I've just said about being privileged and being a chosen people, therefore, he's saying, in light of these truths, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, at first glance, it kind of sounds here like Peter's focus is primarily on our actions, on what we do for Christ. But I think if we take a closer look, the focus is actually on having the right mindset or thought life that would then lead us into the right actions and into the right lifestyle. First of all, when he says, prepare your minds for action. Well, the King James more accurately translates this as, gird up the loins of your minds. Which, let's face it, is not a phrase that you'll hear in Dundee too often this week. Have you been girding up the loins of your minds this week? But really the picture here to have in mind is of an ancient custom. This is what he has in mind. Have in mind an ancient custom whereby men, whenever they were preparing to go somewhere urgently or to, to run somewhere or to do something that was strenuous, what they would do is they would, they would gather up their long robes, they would wrap them around their waist, and then they would tie them tightly so that they were ready and they were prepared to do whatever they needed to do. Quickly and without anything that would hinder them, without anything at all that would take them off to the side or distract them or slow them down. And so, if we put this together with what he says next, namely be self controlled, which in the ESV is be sober minded, be clear thinking, what he's effectively saying here is in your minds, in your thoughts, make sure that you are alert prepared and clear thinking, so that you are ready to respond to God with straightforward, single-minded obedience. How will we be able to do that? How will we have this mindset that is alert and sober-minded and prepared to serve God? Well, I suppose the quick and easy answer is we'll make sure, first of all, that we are not taken in by too much alcohol we will depend on the Holy Spirit we will read the word often we will have lots of good fellowship with other godly people that is the short answer and we could well we could spend a long time on each of those things but look at what he says next he says set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the key that unlocks the door to all of this. In terms of the Christian thought life. Is to make sure that the primary focus and the primary desire of our minds, of our hearts. Is the certainty and the victory of Christ's second coming. To put it another way, if we're going to avoid being volatile in our thinking, if we're going to avoid being uptight, tossed about by the storms of life, constantly unsettled or even apathetic and kind of slothful in our attitude towards serving God, then the way we're going to be able to do that is to keep in mind, folks, that there is truly, really, seriously coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will stand upon this earth and when true justice will be served, when all the accounts will be settled and when all his true people will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Peter is saying here, he's saying it is this perspective that will get you through. It is keeping this in mind that will drive us on in the work of the gospel. Irrespective of setbacks, irrespective of trials and opposition and hardship and stuff that can damage us temporarily, it is keeping this In our minds that Jesus Christ still reigns. He is Lord over all. And he is going to return. So first is our privilege. Second is our heavenly perspective. And third we see here the call to a purity of life in Christ. He says in verse 14, As obedient children do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because i am holy i'm sure we've all heard the expression of uh, parents usually towards teenage children. As long as you live under my roof, you'll do as I tell you. No one here has ever had that said to them, have they? And no one here has ever said that to your children because you're just so much more controlled and kind of godly and biblical in the way you bring up your children. But anyway, what is the essence of that statement? I suppose the truth in what that statement is saying is, as long as you belong to my household... As long as you're part of my family, you must act in line with the head of the family. Why? Because you're not only under my authority as the parent, but in a sense, you're to be a reflection of all that I stand for, all that I value to be true, all that I am as the parent. And so in the same way, what Peter's saying in effect is, on account of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, on on account of the fact that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, we're now under new ownership. We're no longer a slave to sin and to darkness, but we're a slave to righteousness and to all that is light and true and godly and pure. And therefore, our lifestyle and our whole motivation for that lifestyle needs to be driven by one thing God's character, namely his holiness. Now, let's just go a wee bit deeper here. What's interesting is you might remember that this instruction, be holy because I am holy, this was first given to the Israelites in Leviticus 11 and 45. And the original context of this instruction was that God was reminding his people of all that he'd done for them in Exodus In rescuing them out of slavery. And what I think is very poignant about this original context is to remember that in Exodus, when the Israelites were on their way to the promised land, they started to grumble, didn't they? Do you remember what happened? What was the nature of their grumbling? There they were. They'd been set free from this horrendous, terrible existence. Slavery at the hands of Pharaoh. They'd been set free, but then they began to grumble. They were tired, and they were hungry. And it was in the midst of this trial that they actually started to complain about wanting to go back to Egypt. In other words, in the face of adversity, they actually started to believe that the old way of life as slaves to a wicked and evil master, that that way of life might just be more appealing than this new way of freedom, which often entails hardship. And so in the same way, what Peter is saying to us here in this passage tonight, and what the Lord wants to impress upon our hearts, friends, is that as Christians who endure hardship, whether it's in the first century or 2012, there will at times be the same temptation to think that it might just be better to go back to some previous way of life. To go go back to some previous fix or previous thing that gave you a temporary buzz. And in the face of that temptation, that let's face it, nobody here will be absolutely immune to this side of eternity. What Peter is saying is he's saying, no. He says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you lived without the knowledge of a God who is holy. When you lived at a time in your life without a knowledge of all that this God has done on your behalf by sending Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. Very similar to the words of Paul in Romans 12 where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers... He's saying, therefore, I beseech you. Therefore, I plead with you, brothers. That's the kind of language here. I wonder if we take this as seriously as the words are inferring. I urge you, I plead with you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then what does he say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind there it is again our new perspective in christ and so as we think about all of this folks in relation to our own lives we do need to ask ourselves the question tonight in light of this text always aware of course that sanctification is a lifelong process and that our whole life, if we are in Christ tonight, is covered by his perfect righteousness. We must never lose sight of that. We're saved by grace alone on account of our faith in Jesus alone. His perfect life, whereby he lived totally, fully, constantly, obedient to God's law, was lived on our behalf. And when we place our trust in him, He imputes to us His righteousness so that we don't become righteous all of a sudden, but we are covered, we are clothed in His perfect righteousness. And that is the gift of grace that is available to everybody here this evening too. So we must bear that in mind, but at the same time, if this is true of our lives, then the challenge is, which direction am I going in? Am I... Feeding the flesh, or am I sowing to the Holy Spirit in my life? Am I feeding the flesh in terms of the things that I think about most often? Am I feeding the flesh in terms of the things that I read in stupid magazines? Am I feeding the flesh in terms of the music I listen to, in terms of the trash that I watch on the television? terms of the desires of my heart the things i fantasize about the things i dream about or am i sowing to the holy spirit now we all fall in this but the question is are we thinking about it tonight and are we going to think about it again tomorrow and ask that by god's grace he would keep us alert to these things Because just in closing, when you really stop about it, stop, and and when you really think about it, and just as we try to kind of bring this all together this evening, I believe, you know, the greatest issue of our day, the greatest issue for the church in our day, or perhaps not just today, but in any age, the greatest issue is not ultimately how many, what numbers we have. It's not ultimately what music we have. The greatest issue is not how can we be the most pragmatic and strategic and modern about how we do evangelism and mission. These are all byproducts of the issue. And the issue is this. Is God's character, namely his holiness, something which I today am desiring and thirsting after in my heart, and thereby reflecting in my life? And is this character of God, His holiness, something that the church, the bride of Christ, is thirsting after and therefore displaying to the world? Because that is the challenge of Peter to these first century believers and us, and I believe it is still Christ's greatest desire for His bride, the church in our own day. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And what Peter is saying to us tonight, friends, is that the way to press on towards this in our lives is that we must be conscious and aware constantly of our privileged context in christ the privileged of our new identity that's been given to us by his grace the privilege of our context in god's plan of redemption we must retain a heavenly perspective in christ focused on his kingdom his righteousness the fact that he is going to return and we need to make it our central desire to pursue the purity of God's holiness in Christ. And so let us pray together that by God's grace at work in us, which is the only means by which we can ever grow in this, that by that grace we would indeed do so. Let's pray together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty Our Father, we just remember that moment when Isaiah came face to face with the true vision of who you really are and how he was utterly undone and how he cried out, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Father, we realize that that is our true state before you and so much of this world acts as a kind of anesthetic that prevents us from seeing that help us to see that our father not so that we would be driven to despair and despondency but such that we might see the glory of all that jesus christ is and has done on our behalf and father with this grace at work in our lives, which you are always pleased to give to us. We pray that we would be a people who pursue this righteousness of our Savior day by day. Father, we pray this prayer individually in our own lives, the things we think about, our desires, the things we speak about, the way that we speak, the things that we set our eyes upon. Grant us a newfound thirst and hunger, O God, for that holiness of your character to be reflected in our lives. And Father, we pray too for the body of Christ, the church. We pray for the church here in this place. Thank you, our Father, that there are so many true born-again disciples of the Lord Jesus gathering Sunday by Sunday in this place, in Peter's. And our Father and many other churches in Dundee and throughout Scotland. We pray for the nation of Scotland. We pray, our God, that the church would rise up as a beacon of your light and your glory to the nation in these days. Father, we pray that there would be a clarity to the sweet sound of your gospel resounding out over all those who are lost and those who would seek to twist the word of all truth. Father, that you would be glorified, that your name would be hallowed and revered in our midst. We pray for this, Lord, that you would rise up men who would be prepared to stand and proclaim the eternal riches of Christ, irrespective of the cost to themselves. Father, we thank you for the privilege it has been to gather around your word this evening in this place we thank you for the minister here david robertson we thank you father for the way you have been so gracious and strengthening him over these past weeks and being near to annabelle and their children and we just pray father that you would continue to restore him grant him the peace that surpasses all understanding and we pray that you would mightily bless this congregation of your sheep we ask it all in jesus name amen you've been listening to a sermon from saint peter's free church in dundee the historic church of robert murray mcshane for more sermon content please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk that's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.